All right, so um, has anybody ever told you that, um, I don't know, it, depending on how you grew up, your parents may have told you, hey, the, you, they set the bar and you have, not, you have to meet the bar of, this is how we set the bar and you have to meet this and this is how you have to do it. Okay, some of you messed up. Uh, some of you grew up in messed up homes. I'm just saying that. Um, but there is a standard for Christian living. Am I right? So there's a, there's a you know, in work and in sports, and there's a, a bar you have to meet. It's like that high jump. You ever seen those people? I'm like, how do you get over that? Like, I can jump, but I'm like, not high. I'm just jump. Um, and, you know, you watch these people, and they're jumping bars that are like eight feet off the ground, and you're like, what do you eat, helium? I mean, like, it's just, but there's a bar that's set, and that, that reminded me of that high jump. There's a bar that is set for that, and it, and it's, it establishes an expected or desired standard. And we set a bar in our life as Christians. We look at Jesus and say, okay, this is who he is. This is what he does. And we follow him. You know, it's often said a standard, you know, the bar is too low, the bar is too high. Um, So I think I'm going to title this message just to make people angry. Meet me at the bar. That's going to be a good one. There we go. That's good. I like that title. All right. Um, but we look at the bar, and the bar is Jesus Christ. And there, no one can ever reach that, right? We can never, you don't like that title? You'll get over it. Um, yeah. So Jesus Christ is the bar. We will never reach perfection. We will never reach Jesus Christ. He is perfect man per, and never sinned, had a, a, a perfect relationship with God, and never failed. He never had flaws. He never, and because he was God and man. And so we look at that and say, how do we, attain that because for some of us it looks like I can never attain that why even try am I right like sometimes we look at Jesus like I can never do that so if I can't attain that why even try you ever had uh you guys remember when you were in high school or maybe um you get out of school you have someone that you're competing against and they're better than you and you 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 can almost meet them but they you never can step over what they do they're faster than you they're smarter than you they can jump higher than you, whatever it is. And you always have that one person. And it's always like, if I keep trying, I might be able to do it. But that sometimes in your, your life, you're like, if I can't do this, then why even continue trying? And I feel like some Christians are that way. All right. So, but sin set the bar really, really, really low. It's like, hey, sin, there we go. I stepped over. I met the bar. There we go. I'm good. I can, I can do this. It set it so low that we can walk over it. Um, but Jesus came to set a new standard, a new bar, and say, this is what the, the standard is, and the standard is holiness. Um, and that's unattainable to, me, to reach. I'm just letting you know, we can never reach perfect holiness because we are not God. Um, but only the blood of Jesus causes us to be holy in the sight of God. Nothing else we do will cause us to be holy in the sight of God. It is the blood of Jesus, the only thing that causes us to be viewed by God and say they are holy because his blood washes us of all imperfection and sin. But it doesn't give us the, the um, ability to say, okay, well, Jesus' blood washed me. I can just now live however I want because the blood of Jesus, it's like, oh, I sinned. Now I'm just going to step into the blood of Jesus. It washed me. Now I'm good. Go out and sin. Now I'm going to step back into the blood of Jesus. No, it doesn't work that way. Paul says, are we going to continue sinning that we may... Uh, cheapen God's grace? No, we don't. 
but we'll never reach perfect. I'm just letting you know, not to really be a downer on this, you're never going to reach perfect, but um, you're going to slip, you're going to stumble. Sin is going to be part of our walk on earth. It is just that way. We live in a fallen world. It's not that we go and look for it, but it will happen. Um, but it's a, it, there's a difference between choosing a lifestyle of sin and sinning. A lifestyle is I'm consciously making this choice to go against what God wants, whether you know God or not. There's something inside of every person that is this checks and balances in our spirit that whether you know God or not, you know it is wrong, but you still do it. And there's still that way in our spirit too. You guys ever born again, washed in the blood of Jesus and chose to do something you know you shouldn't have done? Said something you shouldn't have done? Yes, we all have. That's called being human. But the grace of God and his forgiveness, forgiveness brings us back into personal relationship and perfect relationship with him. When we are washed in the blood of Jesus, it brings us into that face-to-face relationship with God. So, 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3 says this, says, so get rid of all evil behavior, be done with deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must crave the pure spiritual milk so that you may grow into, a full, into the full experience of salvation, crying out for, for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. So, when you look at that, it says get rid of all evil behavior. I, I, I was looking at that, and I'm like, okay, we don't, we say get rid of, right? We say, oh, I had a bunch of stuff, and I got rid of it, and I brought it to Goodwill, or I had a garage sale, and I got rid of it. And a lot of people think, oh, it just it means moving out. But actually, the older definitions actually mean to deliver or rescue from. Think about it. You know, knights going into a, a fortress. I rid them of the evil ones. You know, they vanquish the evil. No, I'm just kidding. Um, anyway, sorry. That was cheesy. Um, but it actually means to deliver or rescue. That's the, uh, they call it archaic version of it. Apparently, Webster knows better now that it's 2022. So, um, but I'm guessing from probably Hebrew and Greek, it means to rid or rescue. And I, I thought that was cool because Peter's not saying, hey, you know, pick it up, put it in a trash bag and dump it off somewhere else. He's saying, he's saying that rescue yourself, deliver yourself from this. And that's the thing is, as Christians, we've already been delivered from it. We've been delivered from these behaviors, it's our choice to dig back in that trash bag and pull it back out. But then he says, he goes, you know what, get rid of these things. He says, like newborn babies, you must crave the spiritual milk. And what he's saying is, is this, is he's saying, okay, crave the scriptures that cause you to grow, the milk of the word that causes you to grow, the things that cause you to become more mature, cause you to become more like Jesus, that cause you to become in his, become more in his image than you were yesterday or the day before. He's saying that our old behaviors, we need to be pushed out, pu- pushed away, left, to so- left in the grave with the old man. He's saying, if you're born again, don't do this, 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 and this. 
He's saying your old man is dead. We, talk about it in, we talked about it in Romans where old man is dead, new man is here, and what do we do? We put on the new man. We act like the new man. We don't go, okay, well, now I'm going to go back into, well, I was born again, praise Jesus, now I'm going to go have deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. No. Peter is saying, leave the dead things where they are. Let them lie where they lie. Rid yourself of them. Deliver yourself from them. He's saying, you're born again. There's no reason to carry those and to act like that and to talk like that and to to, um, become that. And remove the things that are from the old self so the new man doesn't become shackled back to the dead man. He's saying, okay, yeah, you can, you can carry those, but you're going to be dragged. It's like being shackled to a dead body on the ankle and you're doing this. Yep, I love Jesus, but you're still dragging the old man around. So this is not just Peter saying this. This is, uh, this is quite a few. I want to read this to you. It says uh, in Ephesians 4.29, and this is the Amplified, he says this. He says, Do not let any unwholesome, foul, profane, worthless, or vulgar words come out of your mouth, but only such speech that is good for building up others according to the need and the occasion, so that it will be a blessing to those who hear you speak. That's really, really powerful. Paul's saying, don't let crap come out of your mouth. Start to process that in your brain a little bit. Don't let word vomit, anger, jealousy. Think about what you're saying. Let the Holy Spirit control what you are saying. But what happens is, is we say a bunch of things, and then, we, then the Holy Spirit's like, oh, now I'm listening to the Holy Spirit, now I have to go back and apologize. How much greater would it be not to have to swallow your pride and go back and apologize than it would be to let the Holy Spirit help you and lead you so you don't have to say those things. Okay, by a show of hands, everybody raise their hand. All right. Yep, I'm just gonna, everybody just raise your hands. You've all said something mean and unkind to somebody in your life. Okay, there you go. You can put your hands down. I was not waiting for you. some of you to be like, no, that's not me. I'm not gonna raise my hand on that one. If you didn't raise your hand, you're still guilty of that. So, um, but the blood of Jesus covers it. That's okay. But Paul says, don't let unwholesome, profane, rude, disgusting things come out of your mouth. Paul's saying, leave the dead things where they're dead. Leave and allow alive things to flourish in you. You ever tried to take a dead plant and put it in fresh soil and put some, uh, you know, miracle grow on it and throw some water and go, why is this not growing? That is what we are like when we pick up the old man. We're like, why is this not growing? Somebody's done that, I'm pretty sure. How many of you guys, somebody's, oh, we got a couple people that are guilty of trying to raise a dead plant for life. Jesus says that we can bring, um, you know, call life, but I don't know. If that plant is dead and wilted and, and gone, it might just be gone. So miracle grow doesn't really work too well when it's dead. But, Paul is saying, leave the dead things where they lie. Don't allow those things to come out of your mouth. 
Start acting like Jesus. Paul said, what do I do? I follow Christ, so follow me as I follow Christ. So that means in the way he acts, the way he speaks, the way he carries himself, how he ministers to people, how he talks to people when he goes to the grocery store. You ever been in line at a fast food place? And you get up there and the person's like, what do you want? And you're like, I'll have this. Okay. And they just hand you your seat. Nothing. Just move on. And you're like, oh, okay. So the moment I see that, I instantly go, how's your day going? I'm going to draw something out of them. Whether it annoys them or not, I'm going to draw something out of them. Because you know what? Our job is to not give them the same response they give us. Our job is to leave the dead things and say, you know what? Hey, I'm going to be better than the way I'm treated. What does it say? Paul says, but only speech that is good for building up of others. Ever, anybody ever talked bad about you? Anybody ever talked bad about you and you deserved it because you did something bad before they talked about you? Yeah, and you're like, oh yeah, hallelujah, amen. Um, you earned that one. Um, here's the thing is, they will talk, if you haven't, done anything wrong and they talk bad about you, congratulations, you're a Christian. They will talk bad about you. They will hate you. They will hate you because of him, he said to his disciples. They will hate you because they hate me. You may not do anything but say, I love Jesus, and they will hate you. They will talk bad about you. Oh, they're just those, those religious people. They love Jesus. I said this a couple weeks ago. People hated us. Well, I don't like them because they like Jesus. Well, big whoop, I don't care. If you don't like me because I love Jesus, I don't need you around. That's called a wall. <laughs> but Paul says, build up with what you say. Quit, quit dragging up the old speak. Quit dragging up the old tongue, the old language that you used to speak before you were born again. Start speaking what the kingdom speaks. Start speaking what Jesus speaks. Start speaking what God speaks over you to people around you. Peter says we need the milk of the word to grow up. People are like, I just want the meat of the word. I had somebody say, well, you you talk too much about the milk of the word because I want to talk more about the meat of the word. Well, you know what? How are you going to wash it down? That's the thing is we need the milk of the word to remind us so that when we are in the meat of the word, it brings back. Do you guys ever read a scripture that was really intense and you're like, oh, wait a minute, that's just, it's a really complex scripture. And you're like, I don't really quite know what to do with that. And then God reminds you of the milk of the word that applies to that and, and brings you back to it and say, oh, this is how God works. This scripture was really complex. I didn't understand it. But then the milk of the word that raised you up will remind you and explain to you through the, whole, the Holy Spirit what God is saying to you in that scripture. Think about this. We, uh, Sarah and I were talking about this with somebody. I don't remember who it was. I think it was one of our girls. And we were talking about when a, wo- a woman breastfeeds their child, gives them milk, what happens is this. Is their, the woman's body knows exactly what the child needs for nutrients. And what happens is the child gives nutrients back to the mother. So the mother becomes even more healthy because of that. 
And I was thinking about that. I'm like, in the womb, I'm sorry. In the womb, the child is bringing nutrients back to the mother. But think about this. The body knows exactly what the mother needs or what the baby needs. In a functioning, healthy body, it will do that. And I was thinking about that. That is like the milk of the word. It is going to give you exactly what you need and so you can grow, become strong, become fully aware of what God is doing. And so when we talk, he talks about the milk of the word, it is something that is so simple, but it causes you so much, uh, it can bring so much health to your life that you will always remember it. The milk of the word is there. It's those simple things like John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And when you think about that, that is, is a basic scripture. If you grew up in church, if you were ever around church as a child, you learned that scripture. But as you grow older, what happens is you, you memorize that. If anybody was in Awanas as a child, I'm sorry. Um, um, there was some good to it, though. You learned scripture verses. You had to wear those really stupid vests, but you, had to, you, had your, um, you learned your scripture verses. But what happens is this, that stays with you. The milk of the word stays with you. It becomes a second nature to you. And so what Paul is saying, or excuse me, what Peter is saying is he's saying the milk of the word is going to stay with you the rest of your life. When a child breastfeeds, it gives them what they need and it causes something inside of them that is going to give them health for the rest of their life. And so that milk of that word is like John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And what happens is when you're older, you recall those. You can bring them back to your memory because those are the simple things that when you're struggling with things and when you're going through things and you're like having doubts in your mind and God says, hey, I love you. I sent my son for you. That you would be with me. And it's funny because the milk of the word was actually... Um, referenced earlier in Matthew. And this is Jesus being tempted. And the devil's like, hey, these stones here, just turn them into bread and have, a, have lunch and you'll be fine. And Jesus says, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Think about this. What is the first, um, the first words that God has spoken to us? It's first given to us in Scripture. He gives us his scripture first so we can start to understand him. And then once we start to understand him, then he can lead us and guide us. And, and he, he communicates with us, not just through his, his word, but he can communicate through, through his Holy Spirit to us. But think about it. The first thing that God gave us, to, gave us was scripture. He gave us scripture to communicate with us. And Jesus says, it's not about this food. It's about every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It's every life-giving thing that God gives us. It's the milk of the word that starts us when we're young to help grow us. You don't start with your kid in like Deuteronomy when they're first born again. You know, you got a four-year-old that gets born again. And you're like, here, read Deuteronomy. It'll help you so much. No, you give them something that they're going to understand. You don't give the kids Bibles. You know, I was going to give the kids Bibles just lamentations last week, but I guess that wasn't cool. So, um, but think about it. You don't give little kids lamentations to read when they're trying to learn the Bible. What do you give them? You give them John 3.16. 
You give them simple things so that they can grow. And as they grow, it's like in life, as we grow, we start to understand more. We gain more knowledge. We gain more understanding. And we become more mature. Ephesians 4, 14 through 16 says that we may no longer be children. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. The milk of the word is there to help us grow, but it's, it comes to a point where, you know what, it's time to start growing up. And when we grow, we remember those things, we, we recall those things, but he says, so that we no, may no longer be children tossed to and fro from the waves and carried about with every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth and love that we may grow up into him who is the head, Christ for whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So Paul's saying, get rid of the things that you used to do. Get rid of the ways that you used to talk. Peter's saying, get rid of the things that you used to talk, used to do, used to say, used to whatever. Get rid of it. And then Ephesians 5 says, Let there be no filthy or foolish talk or crude joking, which is out, uh, out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving, for you be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetous or an idolater has no inheritance in the kingdom. Let no one deceive you with empty words because of these things. The wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with this. That's a pretty heavy scripture. Think about it. Your words have the ability to create life and create death. You ever talked down to a situation and it just got worse? Talked bad about this. Oh, this is not going to do anything. I'm going to do this. This is not going to work out the way I want it to. And it turns into a big pile of, yeah. And then you spend time actually thinking about what you're saying about a situation power of life and death in our tongue and when you start to talk bring life into a situation start to speak life over that situation things can change you ever done that and in the same situation you're like oh spoke death over it for like two or three weeks and you're like yep i gotta have my tongue in line i have to figure out where my my what my mouth is saying into that situation then you start to speak life into it and it starts to turn around Yes, because we have power in our tongue. That's why these guys are saying, watch what you say. Quit saying stupid things, foolish things, and disgusting things. Colossians 3, I'm going to read that for you guys. Not the whole passage, but... What's the heading above verse 1 for most of you? Colossians 3. So now you have another gentleman writing here, and he says, put on the new self. If you've been raised with Christ, that means born again, you've died to sin and brought back to life in him. Seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things of the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden in Christ. When Christ, who is yours, 
life appears, when you also will appear with him in glory. And then he says, let's not put on the old man. Let's get rid of some things. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetous, which is idolatry, on the account that the, the wrath is coming. In these you two once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put on, off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of our creator. There is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ in all and in all. So what does he say? He says, you were raised in Christ. The old man's buried. Now, think on the things that are like Christ. Don't be focused on, well, you know, I love Jesus and I go to church, but I just can't get out of this old lifestyle. He says, set your mind on things that are heavenly, not earthly. And that can be a whole vast, we could go on for a couple weeks on just that passage of what he is actually talking about as in earthly things. But he says, for you have died and your life is hidden in Christ. So that means the old man is dead. Now we are alive in Christ Jesus. That means we live and move inside of Christ Jesus. In his, in his um, blood, inside of what he has done, inside of the, the grace that has been extended to us, we move inside of Christ Jesus. Then he says, get rid of even more stuff. I think that's a pretty common, scripture, uh, pretty common consensus throughout most of the New Testament after, after Acts is get rid of what is going to cause you to stumble. Get rid of what is going to cause you to lose the witness that you have. It's going to cause you... You guys ever talk to somebody and, like, I'm a Christian, and then they're, like, shocked and awed that you're a Christian? Like, oh, what? You're a Christian? And not in, like, oh, my gosh, you're a Christian? I knew that. It was so no, I'm just kidding. It's, it's the fact that you... When you tell them you go to church, they're like, oh, you go to church? Shoot, I ain't going to church. I'm just saying. But if, if your life doesn't represent Christ and you're like, oh, you need to come to church and be like, you just as messed up as me, fool. That's why Paul, that's why Peter, that's why all these writers are saying, get rid of the things that hinder you. If you can get rid of those things, how much easier is your life going to be? How much easier is it going to be, be able to move inside of the flow of the Holy Spirit? And when he leads you, you can live. But we want to like, you know, I want to move in the Holy Spirit, but then, you know, I want to say some things to people when they're driving and, you know, give them the Michigan uh, salute when they're, they pull in front of me and tell them where they're going to go. But I love Jesus, just not you. Here's the thing is, if we love Jesus and we don't love them, it's called being a hypocrite. Because Jesus loved us while we were stupid, sinning, living a life that was completely opposite of what, the way he wants us to live. And he said, okay, by the way, you can come on in. I love you. But we're like, I can't extend grace to that guy that pulled in front of me at the Walmart when I was trying to get gas because it was two cents cheaper than the place down the road and I just drove six miles. 
They're like, I love Jesus, but this idiot in front of me, I want to run him off the road. You know it's true. Y'all been in those parts. Y'all drove six miles to get two cents off gas, too. I'm just saying. And they're like, oh, that, that idiot in front of me pulled in front of me in the gas station. And, you know, you're like, well, I was going to go in and get something from the, uh, from the gas station. Now I can't because I got to wait for this person. Or you can't find a parking spot because somebody pulled in. You're like, this idiot over here pulled in front of me, the one parking spot. Now I got to walk three extra feet. You know, like, you know, I'm going to tell him what he is because he took my spot. If I didn't have my handicap sticker with me. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I should have brought it with me. I could have parked up front. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. What, what the writers are saying is quit thinking this way. Quit acting this way. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the perfect and acceptable will of God. That means you can prove that God is living inside of you and that his will is flowing through you and in you. But you're like, well, no, I love Jesus, but I can't love them because they did this or they sinned or they lived this lifestyle and I can't really, I can't be associated with them. I don't see anywhere in the Bible that Jesus said, well, you know, I can't really be around you because you're this way. He called them out Zacchaeus, woman at the well. Hey, I see what you're doing. It ain't good, but I'm going to have dinner with you. And we're going to work on it. Jesus, what, didn't, Jesus had a standard. And what happened was is this. If they wanted to follow Jesus, there was a standard. There's probably a lot of people who loved Jesus but weren't willing to follow him. They watched to, loved to watch from a distance, watch his miracles, watch him heal people, watch him feed 5,000. Like, oh my gosh, he just made that. It's still warm, the bread. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, um, bread probably wasn't still warm. It didn't smell like Subway bread either. So, um, But people loved watching Jesus from a distance. They're like, oh, I love Jesus, but I can't quite make that step to follow him. You look at the, um, the rich young ruler. Love Jesus. Oh, I love you, Jesus. I want to follow you. What do I have to do? Jesus is like, just give up your wealth. And he couldn't do it. it says he went away and he was upset and he was grieving because he couldn't give up what he had. I always tell people when they're young and they're getting married, I'm like, money ain't nothing. It's going to come and it's going to go. And it's going to go quicker than it comes. But that rich young ruler went away and he was sad because he couldn't give it up. And Jesus says it's easier for... Yeah, I'm sorry. I just, I just lost my train of thought on that one. So anyway... It is very hard for someone to get to heaven. Let's just put it this way. It is very hard for someone to get to heaven that has their dependence upon their money. When their dependence on their money overtakes their dependence upon Jesus. I was thinking about this, you know, uh, we, got, we got this group of people at my work and they played a lottery and they're like, it's $600 million. I'm like, oh, that'd be nice. I'm like, but where would my dependence on God's providence in my life? Where would be him supplying when I have a need? I wouldn't have a need. I would just be like, oh, I need a new car. Okay, burn this one down. Let's go get a new one. Oh, it needs a new tire. I'll burn it down. We'll get a new one. We got 600, you know, whatever. 
that's the problem is we become so dependent on, we become so dependent on the money and so reliant upon it that our, our reliance uh, goes away from Jesus. It goes away from God's provision in our life, supplying our needs when we need that job, when we need that raise, when we need that, that healing, wh- whatever it is. It becomes so easy to just push it off. Oh, well, I got the money to do that. I don't have to believe for anything. I don't have to trust God for anything. I don't have to, well, you know, I got enough money. I don't have to believe God that he's going to supply my need because I don't have a need anymore. But God chose us to follow him, to serve him. He chose everyone on earth. It's our choice to do what we do. It's our choice if we're going to follow him and serve him. But he doesn't give us the option to back out. Once we've made that choice, he's like, you've made that choice. You can do whatever you want to do, but you've made that decision. You've made that choice to follow me. And when you ma- once you make that choice to follow him, you're in the family. You can act how you want when you're inside the family. It may not always be good. It may not always be the best, but you can act wh- however you want. Once we've given our life to Jesus, he holds us to that, that standard. He sets the bar and says, this is where I, expe- where I expect you to be. This is what I expect you to do. It's not perfection. It's just every day following Jesus. Every day submitting ourselves to Jesus. Every day saying, how do I get rid of these things in my life? How do I get rid of the foul language? How do I get rid of the thoughts, the, the lifestyles that I live? I mean, it's pretty straightforward in Colossians. And he's like, hey, you know, get rid of impurity, evil desires, covetousness, idolatry, sexual morality. I mean... That pretty much covers the gamut of, of most things right there. So, when we look at it, the bar is not set too high. The bar is, is, is Jesus Christ, but it's not like, oh, well, he's just sitting there watching us going, ah, you're never going to get it. Jesus is walking with us, guiding us, leading us, saying, you're walking with me. I'm going to lead you into holiness. I'm going to lead you into a lifestyle that is pleasing to me, that is honoring to me, and gives glory to my Father in heaven. Thank you. So when Paul's saying, hey, give up these things, get rid of these things, when Peter's like, get rid of this stuff, don't do this, it's all for our benefit. It's not like, well, I'm going to control you and tell you what to do. No, it is for our benefit. God does nothing for us that is not good, that is not for our benefit. Even though it may seem like it's at that moment, God does it for our benefit. Sometimes pain is for our benefit. When our kids are little and they're being stupid and running towards the road, what do you do? You introduce a little pain and they understand that that doesn't work too well. Sometimes there's a little bit of pain in our relationship, and all the parents are like, I did that. Um, Sometimes there is pain in the relationship with God, but it's not a pain of him punishing us. It's him disciplining us and saying, this is the proper way to go. This is not where you need to be. It might be painful in that moment, but understand that God does it for our benefit and for our, because he loves us. He's not punishing us. He's correcting us and disciplining us. There's a difference between punishment and discipline. Punishment is, I could send you to hell right now if I wanted you. Discipline is, is, I love you, quit being stupid. 
Don't say that to your kids. Please don't say that to your kids. That's how God says it to me, though. I'm just, because I'm pretty, if you haven't noticed, I, I, I'm, I shoot from the hip pretty much, and I'm pretty blunt with most of you. So um, that's how God says it to me. He's like, I'll be doing something. He'll be like, stop being stupid. Apologize to your wife. I'm like, mm, I don't want to. Yeah, the, but anyway. Um, that's why the writers in the New Testament are telling us, get rid of these things because they are a hindrance to you. They cause no benefit in your life. They do not cause you to grow. They're causing you to stay in the tomb. You are picking up the old man. You are carrying that old man when you do these things. It is for your benefit that they write and tell you this. Get rid of these things. You will grow from these. When you get rid of these things, something new will, re- will um, grow in your life. The problem is, is we try to water the dead things and hope that they're going to grow. And what happens is there's no space for the new things to grow. So Jesus set the bar. It is obtainable through him. Because holiness is only available through Jesus Christ. Because the blood of Jesus makes us completely holy in the sight of God. We, can't, we cannot con- contain what he has done on the cross. We try to, oh, well, I, my sin is just too, good, too much for Jesus. I'll quit whining. It's not. Your sin is not new. There's been somebody through the last how many thousands of years that's done your sin and added on top of it. I'm going to plus one that one on top. But what we try to do is we try to, oh, my sin's just so great that Jesus' blood didn't cover it. And he's just like, oh, my gosh. I, I just see him sitting up at the right hand of the Father going, do you hear that? And they're whining about my, the, my blood's not sufficient enough to cover their sin. He's like, they're crazy. He's like, what are they smoking today? Um, but Jesus' blood is sufficient for all sin. It covers all sin. It covers all lifestyles that may have been in the past. It covers all things that may have been said in the past. doesn't mean you don't go back and ask for forgiveness for the things that you have said to people, but it covers. It covers those things. And when we repent and when we turn from our sin, repent means to turn. Doesn't mean to kind of turn and just like, you know, keeping an eye on the old lifestyle. The problem is the old lifestyle is like tapping you on the shoulder and you're always like, I'll be right there. You know it's that way. You're in an argument and you're like, hold on, come on up. <laughs> I just told them where to go and what to do. Oh, but Jesus, forgive me. And we do this on purpose sometimes. We're like, I can just ask for forgiveness. It'll be easier that way. Jesus, you stay in the car. I'm going to go deal with this. I'm going to go in and tell them what's what and who's who and where they're going to go when when it's all done and settled. And then I'm going to come back and be like, oh, Jesus, forgive me. I didn't mean that. No, you did. That's why these writers are saying, get rid of it. Quit picking up, quit carrying it, quit having a backpack full of this crap that causes you to be weighed down. Get rid of it so that new things can grow. Get rid of it so life can start. Get rid of it so you can grow and become more mature. What does it say? It says that we may be, oh, where I lost my verse. Oh, here we go. There it is. Speaking the truth and love that we may grow up We need maturity in the body of Christ. 
we can't have a bunch of freaking baby toddler Christians running around crapping their pants all the time. I'm sorry if I'm getting a little extreme here. We can't have that the rest of our life. We have to become mature. The body of Christ is not mature with toddlers running around. That means we have to start to take accountability for our actions. That means we have to start to speak what is being said to us. That means we have to step up and address what culture is saying and quit being afraid of what people are going to think about us. Start actually speaking the truth in love. Start getting rid of the things that are weighing us down. Love covers a majority of things if we allow it to. We can bring ourselves, the grace of God will cover, but we can bring ourselves in our own mind outside of the grace of God and we just think it's so bad and I just did so many bad things. It's not true. You are o- you're the only thing that can remove yourself from the grace of God. And it really doesn't remove it. You're not actually removing yourself. Just it, that mindset will take you out of the grace of God. And like, oh my, I'm so bad. God can't love me anymore. <sighs> Quit whining about it. Paul says you need to grow up. Get rid of the things that you did. If you're two and you're picking your nose, that's understandable. You're two. If you're 42 and picking your nose and eating it, you got some problems. So think about this. The things you did when you were a baby Christian, when you were first born again, okay, it's understandable. You're going to remember things, but you cannot continue to live a lifestyle of that, of every, every week coming up to the altar, I just sinned. And, you know. We have to start to grow up. We have to start to mature. We have to start to get rid of dead things because dead things that are in a garden do not allow new things to grow. The milk of the word will cause you to grow if you allow it to let you grow. And when the milk of the word causes you to grow up, then the meat of the word will, su- will be sufficient for you and you will be able to recall the milk of the word, which is the, the elementary things that we learned. I don't remember where, but it, uh, um, it's somewhere in the New Testament. It says, do not forget the, the, the elementary things that you learned from the word. We need those basic things. If you don't remember what two plus two is and you go to be an accountant when you're 22, you're going to have a problem. We need to remember those things. We need to remember the basic scriptures, the basic principles of Christianity, the basic foundations of Christianity so we can build upon that. The milk of the word helps build that foundation so that when we build that foundation, we're able to sustain a life that is built on that foundation. If we don't understand who God is and we're trying to become whatever and we're like, well, I don't really know who God is, but I'm going to try to do this. We have never built a foundation. How are we going to stand on it? The milk of the word helps reinforce that foundation that is growing inside of us so that when we're a mature person, we have a foundation that is Christ that we can stand on and we understand what the word means. We can understand what he's saying when he is talking to us. So we can have revelation when we read scripture. So yeah, we're going to call this Meet Me at the Bar. So let's pray.